Praise the Lord. Well, we've just had fantastic weeks of ministry and want to just uh, carry on where I was at. A couple of weeks ago, I brought a message just uh, about the wilderness, a couple of messages on wilderness wisdom. How many found that was a help for you? Well, it was a help for me. <laughs> and uh, wisdom when we're going through a journey or a season of transition and change. And uh, the wilderness that uh, we spoke about was an experience that the people of God had in the Old Testament. It was, a, it was an experience we'd call a transition experience. Transition is where you move from one thing to another. You move from one place to another place. You move from one job to another job. You move from one experience to another experience. Or you move from one assignment in God to another assignment. You move from one situation God's got you in through into another situation. There are many examples of it. So transitions are natural. We have natural transition seasons. Right now we're in a changing season. It's absolutely wonderful. But it's quite unpredictable, and you get weather that changes, and you have all kinds of things. You get equinox winds. It's an interesting time. I love these changes in seasons, particularly love the season right now. And uh, so we have natural seasons like that. We also have seasons in our life. You change from being a, uh, a baby and then you've got to get up and you've got to go to school. It's a change. It's very uncomfortable going to school for the first time. Then you have to go to high school. It's very uncomfortable. Then you leave school and go out, and perhaps university training, go off to university. I remember it was very uncomfortable for me making that transition. And uh, I've observed with natural transitions, they're never, never easy. They always have challenge. I understand from reading. Uh, I, I just was reading something that said that in, in the uh, process of giving birth to a child, the period of labor is the period of transition from growing the child within the womb to the child being manifested and brought into the world is a transition, and it's got to cause birth pains. So we see natural transitions around. What escapes us sometimes is that God also transitions us from one experience with him to another. And your Christian life, if you are living a Christian life walking with God, I can tell you now, if you're walking with God, then what will happen is you will find yourself uh, quite frequently in transitions, changes. It's part of walking with God because he's continually moving us on. You don't just get saved and that's the end of it. He journeys you because he has an assignment for your life and he wants to develop you or mature you or prepare you for that assignment. So, uh, for example... If we have one level of job and then we want to go to another level of job, we must qualify for it. You don't get promoted without some kind of success in the level you're at. So in the Bible, there are many transitions. Bible speaks of transitions all the way through. And transitions are very uncertain times. They have their challenges and have their difficulties. But there's some things that are absolutely certain. And that is that there's a process and God loves us to embrace the process of the transition and learn what we can, because it's your chance to prepare yourself for the next season. There are many believers who totally frustrate God's destiny for their life, not because they didn't believe or hope or have some kind of plan. It's just when God was trying to change them, they wouldn't transition. They wouldn't transition. And I want to show you, and we're going to go back into that uh, uh, arena of looking at the wilderness journey, but I want you to see it from the point of view of transition. I want you to be thinking it on the point of view of God shifting them from one thing to another. And what he was requiring of them was to embrace the process of transition and let God change them in the middle of it. 
And uh, as we look at this particular transition, you'll see some challenges. Now, here's interesting things about transition. When God's taken us through transition, he usually informs us. Usually it's us no. As a church, we've probably had prophetic word about two years ago, God was going to bring some changes. And we love the prophetic word, love the idea of it. It's just the reality of it's a little uncomfortable. Wouldn't you say? Very uncomfortable. It's one of the most difficult times I've had being during this transition, but that's okay. And the second thing is that in transition, God requires of us that we change the old ways we thought, the old mindsets we've had, the old ways of doing things. In order to be different or to move into new things, you've got to change. So it's change usually the way I think. Most people think that life will go better for them if something outside them happens. While I win the lottery or I have a breakthrough or something, God wants to bring the change inside first of all. So all transitions, God expects us to be willing to change on the inside. So if you're going through a transition right now, there will be a challenge to rethink what you believe and what's going on and look at what's going on in your life. And God's got his own way of getting that to come up into your attention, which I'll explain in a moment. And then the third one is he calls us to be courageous. So, for example, when Joshua was going through transition, God called him, be strong and of a good courage. Don't be afraid. Don't be dismayed. I'm with you. He called him to position himself emotionally with courage in his heart. Now, courage doesn't mean that you don't feel fear. You can be terrified and still be courageous. So, to be courageous means you draw on the strength of God, and no matter how you feel, you face that fear, you face that difficult situation, you face that challenge, and you stand believing God to help you through it, then you come through it. So God three times says, be strong, be courageous. Why? Because in transition, it requires you have inner strength and courage, because it takes courage to change. Many people don't change because they don't have courage to face the pain, don't have courage to face their fears, don't have courage to face the difficulties, the issues that were never faced before. Someone sent me a text this week. They said, Christian's not for wimps. Christianity's not for wimps. It isn't because God calls us to courageously face things that most other people don't want to face, to face what's in our heart, to face how we react, to face how we deal with life and to grow. It's a wonderful thing. Absolutely wonderful. So transitions. When God's taken us through a transition, the first evidences of it are that there's pressure comes on your life or that there's lack in some area or something goes exactly how you didn't expect it or didn't want it to go. So during transition, there's all sorts of uncertainties and, and, and things are not quite, we can't quite predict how they'll go. And we love to predict how things will go. And so there are what I'd call transition giants. In a season of transition in your life, there are some giants to face. So, for example, if you're a young person going to university and you leave home and you go to live in some other city, a big city, and then go to study there, there will be some giants you will face. There will be challenges you've not faced before just because you're in transition. After you've been there a while, you've kind of got to work it all out or the giants have overcome you. So if you're facing a change in any part of your life, there will be some giants to overcome. And these giants are quite, and we're going to see them, and we'll see them manifest in the lives of Israel in just a moment. But uh, let me just give you them. So one of, the giant, one of the giants is bitterness, resentment, and offense. That's a giant to overcome. 
because in transitional change, it's easy to become offended and resentful and bitter. Another giant to overcome is a giant of fear because fear causes try and control or hold together our world or manipulate everything around us so we feel safe. That's a giant. Another giant is the giant of complaining, what we do with our voice, what we give voice to. Will we give voice to heaven? Will we give voice to fear and negativity and unbelief? What will we give voice to? And, of course, another problem that comes or challenge that comes, and that is that we just go off on a wrong track and we, we, we do something in order to try and control our world that gives birth to an Ishmael. Now, when you look in the Middle East right now, all that fighting over there came about because in transition, someone had his own idea how to solve the problem and help God out. That was, uh, that was Abraham. And so Abraham, instead of believing God and holding on to the promise of God, had a change in plan, take, took hold of Hagar, had a child through her, and all the Arabs were birthed, and all the conflict in the Middle East was birthed because one man didn't handle transition well. Think about that. I wonder what turmoil is generated in our lives because we didn't handle our transitions too well. Other people get affected, you know. Okay, now let's have a look at a great transit. We're in Exodus chapter 15. So you want to know what I'm talking about here? Okay, good. Notice everyone getting a bit quiet. <clears throat> okay, well, let's go now, have a look and lighten up a bit and go there to the place in Exodus chapter 16. We were looking in Exodus 15. Exodus 15, uh, they, they had trouble because here it is. Now, I want you to have a look at it, see, from the people's point of view. They were in bondage in Egypt, and they got saved. Hooray, we're saved. And then suddenly... The enemy's behind the mountains on either side, water in front. Oh no, we're trapped. Hooray, we're saved. Do you think God was caught by surprise by the water and everything? He had a plan to get them through it. Then they get in the desert, they sing and they dance and they have tambourines, and then they go three days, there's no water. Boo, it's not going well. And then what happens is the water they get is bitter. Oh no. And so they start to murmur and complain. But you know, right beyond that, was a huge well. There were wells of Elam. There were wells and palm trees. There was huge provision. So from the point of view of Israel, they, they just had to journey it one experience at a time and had to decide how they would respond to each experience. But from God's point of view, God saw from the beginning to the end. He said, hey, look, I got a whole place here full of water, full of palm trees, a lovely cozy place. Yeah, yeah, I know there's a couple of tough spots on the way. There's one over there. No water for three days. And look here, there's some tough spot too. Here's some bitter water. Hey, but I got the answer. I know what to do. Don't worry. Just trust me. I can get you there. So from God's perspective, he's just got blessing in mind. From the perspective of those journeying, it doesn't look good. Actually looks bad. Three days, no water. Looks real bad. Then it's bitter water. We can't drink it. That's really bad. So how will we respond? And that's the only thing you have power over choice, of choice over. How you will respond when you face difficulties in transition times. That's what you have power over. You don't have power over the situation. You have power over how you'll respond to the situation. You have power over how you'll respond to God in the situation. You can choose whether God reveals himself as your mighty healer, your mighty provider, your mighty source, and you walk out of that tough time and you've got a testimony of miracles. Or you can choose whether you walk away bitter, critical, negative, and reinforced in your thinking. You choose. No one chooses that for you. You have to make that choice. So the thing about it here is, 
that Israel's in transition, and they're in transition from where God is providing everything for them. They're actually in a welfare mentality, a, a victim or slave mentality, into a warfare mentality where they actually have to arise and fight and possess the land. So God's got all this land of promises ahead for them, and he says, but i got to get you to change your mentality because you're going to need a mentality of faith. You're going to need a mentality of courage. You're going to need a mentality of perseverance if you're going to get all I've got for you. So how am I going to get that into them? Have an altar call? I don't think so. That's not how he gets it into them. He says we're just going to allow a few tough spots on the way, and then we're going to give you as a chance to see what's in your heart, seek, and then respond and grow. So here it is, Exodus 16. Let's read what happened. So they journeyed from Elam, and Elam was a place, a cozy place, 70 palm trees, 12 wells of water, the Bible says. Great place. Plenty of provision, plenty of shelter, everything's just nice. Then God says, you've got to move on. They went from Elam, and all the congregation of the children of Israel came to the wilderness of sin. Sin means to be thorny, to be full of thorns. It's near Mount Sinai, which means a thorny place. When the Bible's talking about thorns, it's referring to the curse that came upon the earth as a result of the sin of man that brought frustration. Remember he said, the the earth will bring forth thorns and thistles and you'll labor, but you won't get all that you're supposed to get from it because the ground is cursed. So you'll be frustrated and you'll work hard and you have disappointment and difficulty. So this whole wilderness of sin, the wilderness of thorns, was to bring to their attention they were now going to experience some difficulties, frustrations, some challenges where they're not getting what they want. And in the midst of it, God is going to reveal himself. He revealed himself just before. He's the God who heals. Now he wants to reveal himself as the God who provides. So it says what happened there was the whole congregation of the children of Israel complained. Oh, isn't that lovely? Complained against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. Then the children of Israel said to them, Oh, that we had died by the hand of the Lord in Egypt when we sat by the pots of meat when they ate bread in full. Forgot about the, you know, the slavery and the taskmasters and stuff and the bitterness. You brought us out of this wilderness to kill us, the whole assembly with hunger. And then the Lord said to Moses. So when you read in that chapter there, you find out that the issue of complaining is mentioned about four times. Look at it. Verse 7, in the morning you'll see the glory of the Lord. He hears your complaints against the Lord. What are we? You're not complaining against us. Verse 8, your complaints against the Lord. Verse 9, come near before the Lord. He heard all your complaining. Verse 11, the Lord said to Moses saying, I have heard your complaining. Oh, oh, I didn't think when I complained, God heard. Four times, four times he makes it very clear that when we complain, he's listening. In fact, the whole spirit world's listening to what comes out of our mouths in the midst of a difficult time. And we have a choice what comes out of our mouth. Because what comes out of our mouth is in our heart. So whatever comes out of our mouth reveals the heart issues we're struggling with as we go through a difficult time. Is that a great thing to think of? So what's been coming out of your mouth recently? Can you remember very, very angry words? Bad words? Yeah, well, we have those days. Actually, they're a heart response to a difficult situation. That's all. They show what's in your heart. It comes out of your mouth. You want to find out what's in the heart? Listen to the mouth every time. Sweet, blessing, faith, 
confidence, boldness, courage, defeat, negativity, whatever it is that's in the heart will find its way out. It doesn't come out in the good times, it comes out in the difficult times. There's a reason for that in a moment. Okay, so I want you to see their responses to their lack of food. Now, they're in, they're, first they lack water, and God sorted that out for them. Now they're lacking food. Don't you think God can sort that out as well? Did God sort it the last one? He can sort this one out. Okay, now, now I want you to, to read again what, he, what they said. He said, They complained against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness and said, Oh, that we die by the hand of the Lord in Egypt when we sat by the bulls of meat, and when we ate bread in the fall, you brought us out to this place to kill us in this whole assembly of hunger. Now, I want you to notice four things that emerge out of their mouth. There's four things come out of their heart. You can read this very easily. Now, these are things that are very common to people. Common. I've had to wrestle with them, have to continually ensure my heart's get free of them. It's just so easy. The first thing is bitter judging. You notice what they say to Moses, you you brought us here to kill us. Now that is a judgment, and it's a judgment rooted in deep bitterness of heart. You brought us here to kill us. It's the same Moses later on when God said, stand aside, I want to kill him, and he said no, uh, and he interceded for them. <laughs> Don't kill him, Lord. See, so this is the first thing that came out. You brought it. Here's the second thing that came out. They complained. Whole congregation complained. They complained about Moses and Aaron. Now, I want you to have a look here. The word complaint means to stop overnight. It means to stay permanently. It means to find fault. It means to protest against something that's been judged to be wrong, to make an accusation. Isn't that interesting? So they judged and found something wrong, made an accusation, and found fault. That's what they did. It's, we wouldn't do that, of course. We would never do such a thing. And notice it was against Moses. So it always finds itself expressing itself against people. And you notice this, they have actually... Now, who got them out of Egypt? God. Come on, give me a break. God required a man to get them out. Okay, now who's leading through the wilderness? A man. Okay then, so what, what did they do? Now... It's like the, when David had his trouble, they all want to kill him. Now, you notice what's going on in the heart, but it's a heart issue. Moses says, who are we? We're nothing. We're nobodies. Not really. He said, the struggle you've got is not a struggle against people. It's a struggle against God. It's a struggle in the heart with heart issues about God. That's the true situation. Now, notice they position themselves against Moses. Now, in order to get what they needed to get, they needed to be positioned right. And now they're positioned completely wrong. They're actually against. And what has put them against Moses? What's put them against God? What has caused them to be in a position where they're going to go nowhere? They're going to die. What has caused them? Here it is very simply. Bitter judging in the heart. That's what brought them there. They made a judgment. Don't think judgments aren't important. They're a huge part of our life. They affect us. And then the next thing you notice that they manifest as a result of that is accusation. A critical word. You did this. You're the one to blame. You brought us out here to kill us. That's very bitter. Okay? And then the next thing you find is bitter resentment and despair. Oh, that we're dying in Egypt. You notice they then bring God into it. They said, the Lord should have killed us there. So what are they thinking about God now? They're not thinking faith. 
They're not thinking trust. They're not thinking God is helping me. They're not thinking that at all. What are they thinking? They're thinking, you God, yeah, you've just left us. See, what manifested was the bitterness of their previous experience in slavery. It just flushed up in a hard time. Now, God knew it was there, but what happened was they had a chance to see it and deal with it. So what happened was they went through a difficult time, and in the difficult time, the unresolved bitterness of their slavery in Egypt, the hurts, the resentments, the offenses, the bitterness that went back over all their known lifetime of being under oppression, of being victimized, of being powerless, of being treated unjustly, treated wrongly, all that they'd suffered under the taskmasters of Egypt, it's all there in their heart. Yes, they're glad to be saved. Yes, they're glad to be under the Holy Ghost. Yes, they're glad to be having God with them. But you know what? They're still bitter in their heart They've never resolved the stuff from their past. And so as God is wanting them to come into a position where they can actually be valiant worries for him, he wants them to deal with the heart stuff. Get rid of the heart stuff. Sort it out. Notice they judged God. Isn't it interesting? When something goes wrong, how people say, how come God caused that to happen? How come God let that happen? See, we've got a, someone in our, our congregation just died. You know what comes up in the mind of many people? How come God let that happen? Why didn't he heal her? You know what that means? You've just judged God. Found a fault with him. Think how difficult it will be to step out in faith to believe for a healing in the future. See, as soon as you ask the question why, you enter into judgment because you're looking for motives. Basically, all we know is this. She died. That's all we know. And God calls us to respond in a certain way. Why did that happen? I don't know. I've got to just know that God does heal the sick. All I know is this time he didn't. That's all I know. So it can't come to any conclusions. Once you start to ask the question, why, then you go down a whole kind of route. You go down a route about, well, why does God allow this? Why does God allow this? And you start to judge God, question God's motives and judge him. And then you find yourself arrayed against him and your life in God can't prosper. So it's a real, real, real area that we have to deal with. So you notice here that they had a death wish. They just wanted to die. Now, isn't that interesting that when we're in the deepest struggles, often if there's roots of bitterness in the heart and despair has come into the heart, often the thing that manifests is, I just wish I was dead. And if you've had situations in your life where you've been in deep grief, deep pain, and it's been very bitter, and you just wished you were dead, in a time of stress and pressure, it will come up to the surface like stones in a paddock. And there it is for you to deal with again. Except now, you're not without hope. Now you have hope because our God is the God of all hope who can fill you with joy and peace through believing that you can resolve that old thing. So in the journey with God, the stones and rocks and hard places, the resentments and bitterness just surface in our life. How do they surface? They're seen by how we respond when pressure comes on us. You know I'm talking about someone next to you, eh? <laughs> Tell them, listen up, this is for you. Okay, then let's just move on. Now, we get, we, you're getting the picture on there. Right? Now, let me just go through. Here's the thing. Your heart determines how you see and interpret life. Your heart determines how you see and interpret life. Think about this. Your heart determines it. Not, see, it's not what happens to you. It's how you interpret it and how you respond to it. That's what determines what happens to you. And so in Proverbs 17, verse 20, it said, The one who has a deceitful heart 
finds no good. Deceitful means distorted or twisted or crooked or perverted. So if our heart is not right, we don't see right. Now we can be as smart as we like, but we still don't see right if there's something wrong in our heart. The Bible says, for example, 1 John 2, it says that if you've got hatred in your heart, hatred, you can't see where you're going and you keep tripping up. You have relational issues you can't figure out, but you have a reason why they're like that, and that reason usually means you've judged someone else as being the cause of the problem. But the real problem lies in the heart, dealing with the heart stuff. Let it come up. Let it come out. Let God help you and heal you. Notice what Jesus says in Matthew chapter 7. Matthew chapter 7. He says, look, what he says here. He says, judge not, do not judge. Do not judge. Do not judge. Don't judge. Judge not. Because, why is that? You will be judged. Now, there's something about judging that creates problems for us. The moment you enter into judgment, you start off a cycle of suffering for yourself. And so we'll explain that in just a moment. Now, what, with what judgment you judge, you'll be judged. So if you're harsh with people, hey, they're going to be harsh with you. The measure you use will be measured back. And in uh, Luke uh, chapter 6, it says, not only do you get it back, it comes around. What goes around comes around. The problem is it comes around and you get more of it than you expected, more of it than you gave out. Why do you look at the speck in your brother's eye and don't consider the plank or beam in your own? How can you say to your brother, oh, you've got an issue. Let me remove the issue from your eye. But however, look, there's a huge beam in your own eye. Hypocrite, first, 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 priority, remove the plank from your own eye and you'll see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. Well, that's a great thing. So judge means to make a decision. It means to call into question someone's motives, make a decision what they are, pass judgment, and then sentence them. So whenever we look at situations or people and we make a judgment, this is why that took place, this is why they did that, we now have made a judgment. And in making a judgment, you set yourself up higher. You notice in a court, you've been to court, supposed to be one or two people, you've been to a court, you go to a court, you notice the judge sits higher than everyone. When you become a judge, you seat yourself higher than everyone. I wouldn't do that. I'm actually in charge here judging. And you're down there. You're the condemned. And here's the list of accusations against you. And I find you guilty. That's what judging is. It's a heart issue. See, judging. So judging. Now, here's one of the things. You notice Israel was very quick to judge. It is true in life that if you have been through many painful experiences in your past or have suffered abuse or wounding, the question you tend to ask constantly is, why? Why did they do that to me? And then, now that you've asked why, you're going to enter into a process of judging. You come to some conclusions. Here's your conclusion. Or, they must hate me. Or, men will always do that to you. Or, women will always be like that. Or, I must be a bad person. Judge yourself. God must dislike me and hate me. You notice the question why triggered off all of those judgments. When you have experiences in life, we often don't know why they happen. Why is not a good question to ask. We should actually observe the situation and ask the question, how do I handle this? What do I need to do? How can I make good choices in the middle of this? Because once you start asking why, you're going to start to judge. 
And when you judge, there's a whole lot of things begin to happen. And so, so if, we, if we see what someone does, for example, I've had things as silly as this. I walk in and I'm preoccupied. I'm just thinking about the meeting and someone's rung me before I got here and I've got a few things in my mind. So I walk in and walk right past someone. Now, you know what I did? I was just preoccupied and walked past someone. That's all I did. That's all that happened. But that person looks. He walked past me. That's an observation. What does that mean? Now, he's about to enter into judgment. He doesn't like me. Now, that's judgment. It's got nothing to do with reality. It's your conclusion about it, what it means. Why doesn't he like me? I've only tried to do this. I've only tried to do that. And it, now, now I'm angry. Now you notice I'm angry not because someone walked past me. I'm angry because I judged. My judgment has unleashed all kinds of resentment. I always have this trouble everywhere I go. And people treat me like this. And before you know it, the person's wound up and they can't worship God and they're in a mess. And I don't think that's an exaggeration. I've seen it happen. People come up, why did you walk past me? I said, I don't know. I didn't even notice. I was actually full of something. I'm so sorry. What? But they're actually full of something. So when you start asking why, then you try and find all the reasons. So the Bible says, just tells us this, don't speak evil of one another. Whoever speaks evil of his brother is judging his brother. When you hear someone running someone down, they are judging them. And they're about to reap a huge cycle. And if you don't watch out, you'll come into agreement with it, and then you'll reap the cycle too. Think about it. So what does Jesus, here's some insights. As soon as we decide why someone did something, we end up judging them. So here's the thing. When we judge others, we set ourselves in the place of God. Why did they do that? Hmm. He doesn't like me. See, so that's a judgment of someone's motive. It's got nothing to do with reality. It's just how I assessed what happened to me. And that will determine then some things. And away it goes. So, uh, so when we judge others, we can't see clearly. That's what Jesus said. There's, you can't see clearly. It's like you've got a beam in your own eye. Your own eye is so, so blocked. You can't see clearly. Can you imagine someone who's got a big hunk of wood in their eye and they're trying to use a pin to get a speck out of your eye? What's going to happen? They're going to use immense damage. So you notice the thing is we can't see clearly. And Jesus' concern is we see clearly. Notice he doesn't say we shouldn't help others. He just said, don't judge them. And he says, you need to get the plank out of your own eye, then you can see clearly. In other words, the, and the context is one of judgment. In other words, here's the, here's the deal. When you judge someone, you now cannot see at all clearly them or the situation. And if you want to see clearly, you have to get the judgment out of your heart. You have to repent of it, renounce it, let it go. That's the deal. Have to let it go. You notice then, not only that, we can't deal with issues in our own heart. Why? Because we're looking at the speck in someone else's heart. Look at that. Look what they did. Look what they did. Look what they did. And you become obsessed, so obsessed with someone else's faults and failings, can't see what's in your own heart. Now, of course, we do this all the time. And we reap a judgment that comes on us. And so judging ends up in fault-finding and criticism and resentment and bitterness. Ends up in all kinds of horrible, horrible things. In fact, actually, you notice unsafe people. See, a Christian meets unsafe people. You know what they tend to do? They tend to judge them. Oh, they're going to hell. How do you know? How do you know this state of heart? Why did you set yourself up to judge where they're at and where they're going? How did you know that? Oh, well, it looked like it. And I concluded that. Oh, now, now, what happens, of course, is we see someone and we, 
immediately look through what's in our heart, we filter what's there, and we judge it in line with what's in our heart. So you see someone, and maybe they're just dressed a little bit uh, untidily, or they're dressed in some way that you disapprove of. So, oh, that person must be such and such. How do you know? You're, you're making a judgment on something you know nothing about. And the problem is, Christians judge unsafe people and judge one another and judge God and judge themselves and wonder why there's no power in their life. How can you have power in your life to influence people if there's judgments in the heart? Jesus said this, I have not come to judge anyone. But we who are much wiser, who represent him, feel we're free to judge all sorts of people. We can judge pastors and leaders. We can judge other churches. We can judge one another. We can judge the unsaved. We judge the government. We so set ourselves up because of bitter roots in the heart and a judgmental attitude. What it ends up in, you end up religious. You end up religious having the form of Christianity but no power in it. How can there be power in it? God's not into judging. She said, I didn't come to judge anyone. The Pharisees judged. Here's a woman caught in adultery. Well, you can't get it clearer than that. She's caught. We caught her. We caught her. That means they caught the man too. However, we'll just overlook that for the moment. It's not convenient because we actually want to focus on the woman because that's the source of the sin. You get any idea? See, the whole pharisaical spirit and judgmental attitude and pride and we're better than not, we'd never do that. And Jesus just refused to judge her. Did she sin? Yes. He didn't judge her though. Did she get caught? Yes, but he didn't judge her. He just exposed the judgments in the other's hearts. And then when they walked away, he said, who's here to judge you? He said, well, no one. He said, I'm not judging you either. But she was caught in, but she was caught in adultery. Don't you understand she was caught in adultery? You must pass sentence on her. She's got to be punished some way. And we think that way. But that's not how God thinks. Jesus took all the punishment. You're not into judging people. And we're called to represent them. Oh, and the harshest people in the world when someone fails is a Christian. It's because of Pharisee spirit, pride, judgmentalism, harshness. You have to repent of that. How can you bring the love of Christ? How can we manifest what Jesus is truly like? He doesn't judge people. That's why every sinner, unsaved person felt really happy in his presence. Why? Could never judge them. Did he have standards? Yep. Did he speak the truth? Yep. Did he try and fix their lives? No. He didn't. So you notice this person here is judgment in the heart. They're obsessed with fixing up someone else's fault. You notice he said, let me help you get the speck out of your eye. Because I can see I can see you've got a speck in there. There's a speck there. It needs to be removed. And I am just the one to remove it. To which the reply is, well, get the beam out of your eye first, and then we'll be able to have a show here. In other words, stay away from me. Your attitude makes it impossible for you to help me. You understand? So we're not called to fix people up. We're called to love them, not judge them. They're responsible for their lives. The moment you try to fix someone, you've already judged them. You know what you've judged them? You are lacking. You are a mess. You need sorting out. That's just full of judgment. It's full of judgment. 
And who better than me to fix you? See, it's full of judgment. Full of judgment. No love in that. And this is what was this is what surfaced in their hearts. So how do we deal with it? How can we deal with all this stuff? Everyone got a bit quiet. You know it's someone else I'm talking to, you don't you? You're thinking, dear God, why'd I come this morning? I should have stayed in bed. But it's okay. God wants us to hear this one. I've been hearing it all week. And I discovered some things in my heart that I needed to repent of. Don't we all? I think, you know, for me, I grew up with many struggles over feeling rejected. And so when you live that way and you're wounded inside, you live full of judgments. Your whole life is a judgment. Do they like me? Do they not like me? Am I accepted? And your life's a mess. And the strongest judgments were about myself, finding fault with myself and judging myself. I had to repent of that. Then God, where are you? Judging God. Then you figuring out other people and judging other people. My life was riddled with it. Come out of a religious background, riddled with it. I had to work to get my heart free of it. It's a constant effort because it's easier to go into judgment and bitterness than it is to go into grace and love and truth. And, this, and this, I'll just show you quickly what Jesus did because you want to follow Jesus' example in the middle of this. So we have a quick look and just read this out in, in, in uh, Mark chapter 6. And in Mark chapter 6, in these few verses here, we've got an interesting story. And it's some people who don't have any food. And I want to see how Jesus dealt with that. Here it is. So we find in Mark chapter 6, here it is. And um, verse 31, uh, get the context. Um, the disciples had just come back and talked to Jesus about all the things they'd done. He said, come on out by yourselves into a deserted place. Let's rest. There's so many coming and going, we didn't even have time to eat. So they departed in a deserted place in a boat by themselves. In other words, they wanted to have a holiday. But then the crowd saw them and they came and Jesus was moved with compassion and they wanted, he ministered to them. Then it got very, very late in the day and this, they need something to eat. Well, what more could they expect? I've given up my break. I've given up my meal. I've preached to them all day. Send them home. That was the disciples. Judge them. Send them home. That's what Jesus did. I want you to see what Jesus did. He just did this. He said, well, you do something about it. And they got really upset about that. Then he said, well, how many loaves do you have? Go and see. And they found we have five and two fish. Commanded them to get them all sit down in groups on the green grass. And they sat down in ranks in hundreds of fifties and fifties. Now, here it is, verse 41. And when he had taken the five loaves and two fish, he looked up to heaven. The word to look up to heaven is exactly the same word that's used when it says of Jesus' ministry, he came to open the eyes of the blind. When you look up to heaven, you are making a decision to open your eyes to the possibilities of God in the midst of lack and pressure and difficulty. Remember he had the demand of 5,000 or more people on him and everyone's there needing food and all hungry and now, what am I going to do? He expect me to find it. It could have easily been a response of bitterness and anger and resentment. Instead, he looked up to heaven. The first thing we have to do is to open our eyes to God's perspective. Why are we here? Why are all these people here wanting me to feed them? No, 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 no. Look up God. Show me your perspective on the situation. The biggest problem we have is we don't have God's perspective. We see through the eyes of judgment. But to get God's perspective, you've got to look up to God. Look up, God, show me your perspective on this person. 
your perspective on this person, your perspective on this situation, your perspective on this problem, your perspective on this need. Show me your perspective. Open my eyes to see it like you see it. Then I can operate in wisdom. You need your eyes open. So when you're facing a pressure and a problem, you just need your eyes open to the bigger picture. See, we only see the little bit. Remember, they only saw that, that bit there where there was no water and then there was bitter water. They didn't see there were wells coming up. They didn't see God as a God who heals. Then they run out of food and all they can see is they're out of food. They don't see God as a God who provides. They just don't see. That was the problem. Why couldn't they see? Because of bitter judgment. And so what happens is Jesus looked up to heaven. So the first thing is we just, heaven is full of abundance. See, so if you look around here, you see huge lack. You look at people, see huge need. You look up there and God, help me to see the abundance. Help me have your perspective on the situation and how you want me to engage with you to bring heaven into earth in this situation. That's the first thing. Second thing, he focused on God's love and goodness. How do we know he did that? Because he said, what I see the Father doing, that's what I do. So he made the focus of his looking into the heaven and to look into God's perspective on the goodness, the nature of God. God is always good. If God is always good, he's going to provide. If God is a provider, Jehovah Jireh provider, he'll make a way. I don't know what it is. I don't know how he's going to do it, but that's okay. He'll make a way. He'll make a way. Why? No, he'll make a way. You focus on God's love. Now, so of course, so when you face yourself in a situation that's really hard, really difficult, first thing to do is to look up to God, to get his perspective on it, to look to the love and the goodness of God, and then resolve your issues. Resolve your stuff. You know what comes up when you're going through a hard time? Bitterness and anger and judgment, all kinds of things. Well, just resolve them, repent of them, bring them to the Lord, let them go, forgive, let it go, release it, let it go. Then what he did was he took what was available and he spoke blessing over it. He blessed it. He didn't speak critically. He spoke well. He spoke life. He spoke into it. Increase, provision, enlargement. He echoed what he saw in heaven and he saw something come as a result of it. And he acted in faith. And God's miracle came and the whole crowd were fed. An amazing miracle of God. See, now, what do we do? Well, we're just like the Israelites so often. Something goes wrong. Oh, we get upset and angry and frustrated and flustered and get all kinds of things in our heart and we're going to make judgments and then try to control the world around us, control everyone. Hey, abandon that. When something's going on, look up. Oh, God, this is the situation. Show me it from your point of view. Show me how you want me to respond. Show me heaven's provision. And Lord, by the way, I got a bit negative there on the way. I was saying some dumb stuff. Lord, I repent of that right now. What is in my heart? Take it out of my heart. Let my heart be healed, renewed of the bitterness and those things that are in there. Lord, I'm going to speak your word over my situation. I'll speak your word over that person. I'll speak blessing over them. I'll speak increase over them. I'll speak the love of God over them. I will bring heaven to earth. I will bring your heart into this earth. It's a choice. We're called to follow Jesus. And this is the example he set. Isn't it interesting? It said that what happened in the wilderness was an example for us to learn from. All of those people who continually got bitter and judged and complained. Not one of them who did that entered the provision of God. They never transitioned to the provision that God had. I want to transition fully into the new things God has for me. It'll take courage. You do too. I know you do. But why don't you just, in your heart, say, God, 
What has been coming up in my life? What has been flushing up out of my heart? As I face difficulties, what's come to the surface? Lord, I'm turning to you. I'm turning to your love and your grace, your absolute and wonderful goodness. Lord, forgive me for getting my eyes on people and trying to figure them out and judge them all. Lord, just let me get my heart back in line with you. And Lord, into a place of grace. So my words I speak are full of grace, full of life, full of blessing.